Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Part two. So let's go to number two, the second principle. Once we've done that, it's called the principle of dedication and consecration. Now, some of you that are hearing this, you might think, well, dedication means I need to be a monk, or I need to go into the monastery, or I need to go into the ministry, or I've got to go to seminary, or I've got to do a lot of other spiritually sounding, kind of drippy, liturgical stuff. And actually, that's not the case. This was written to a group of people just like you. If I could put you in a time capsule and all of us would go back about 2,000 years and we stepped out of the time capsule and we sat in a room full of people like he's writing, it'd be very much like you. There'd be military people there. There'd be working people there. There'd be mothers there. There'd be separated, divorced people there. There'd be all kinds of people with illnesses and financial issues, struggles with families, same kind of people. And to those people, he didn't say, join a monastery. If you want to discover God's will, go into the ministry. He didn't say that. But he did say this. Look at the verse. Present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So, I thought that's interesting. Before I ever am willing to do God's will, I have to start by just presenting myself to Him. Now, that sometimes could be the most difficult step to take. And that is where you're saying, I don't know what his will is. Why would I want to do it? I don't know if I know it. I don't know if I want to do it. And he's saying, before I reveal that to you, he says, what I want you to do is to have enough trust in me that what I have for you will not only be good for you, but it'll be glory for me. Are you willing to do that? And then you might say, well, Stan, you know, that is a very difficult step for me. So here's my question. How much more difficult is it to trust the Lord to... Be willing to do His will even though you don't know it exactly yet than it was for you to trust in Christ as your Savior and yet you weren't there when He died on the cross. You weren't there when He looked at you through those pained eyes and yet you trusted Him for your salvation. And you believe with all of your heart that when you die here, you're going to be absent from the body and you'll be present with the Lord. If you believe that, if you can trust Him for that, yet you haven't seen it or touched it or smelt it, you believe it because you read it in Scripture and you know the veracity and the truthfulness of Scripture, you trusted that, can't you then say, all right, Lord, if I could fall back into your arms for salvation, I can fall back into your arms for your will, and I'm willing to do that. In a sense, that's what we're talking about when it says, present yourself unto the Lord a living sacrifice. But I want to give you three words so that you can really see how it is and really hang yourself on these pegs, all right? Number one, it's voluntary. Voluntary means that he's giving this to you as an urge. It is something you need to do, but he will not make you present yourself to him. It's a choice that you get to make. Now, in some translations, it's the word present. Some of you have the translation offer. What you do need to know, whether it's the word present or offer, it has the idea of a once and for all. It's where you're finally saying, all right, Lord, I can trust you as my Savior, but now I'm going to trust you as the Lord of my life. I know you're the Lord as my Savior, but now I'm going to trust you as the Lord, as the one who's going to be my CEO. You're the manager of my life, and I'm willing to do that. I'm presenting myself to you once and for all. Now, this is key, folks. You present yourself once and for all, and then every day we go back and we live up to that presentation that we've given ourselves to the Lord. That's the word offer. 
One writer said this. It says it's like a reservation. You're like saying, Lord, you have a reservation on my life. I'm like a table. You can come to me anytime you want and ask me to do anything you want me to do. I am yours. I belong to you. Now, you might have done that for salvation, but are you willing to do it for the rest of your life? Why would we do it in one area and then want to take back our life in the other area? If it's so sweet to trust in Christ and have our sins forgiven and enjoy the peace of the Lord then, wouldn't it be nice to have the continued peace of the Lord that we know that every moment of every day we are doing God's will of what he wants us to do. And so it's a voluntary thing. It is a choice. Number two, it's practical. It's a very practical thing. Here it says to give your bodies. Now why would it say body to the Lord? Now I know the Lord's got all of us. I get all of that. But he really, when he paid for our sin, we, he has our spirit, he has our soul. That's our very life. But when we give our body, that's what we do with our eyes. That's what we do with our hands. That's what we do with our mouth. That's where we go and what we do. We give of ourselves totally to the Lord. Everything that we have belongs to him. That's a practical giving of ourselves to him. I remember one person used this illustration. I liked it so well. They talked about when they receive an offering in a church... It's like instead of just dumping in my money into the offering plate, it's almost like I should myself, my whole being, jump into the plate. So God just doesn't have my checkbook. He has everything about me. Whoever I am, I give that to the Lord. Can you do that, folks? Can you do that? Can you do that at work? Can you do that on your ball teams? Can you do that in your neighborhood? Could you do that at your family reunions? Can you give yourself totally to Him? I'm giving my body to Him. But now, it helps to understand when it talks about a living sacrifice, and that's why a body is a good illustration to use. So let me just briefly take you back in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you're going to see where that when a person came, he would offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Sometimes it would be something that he has grown, definitely required to take an animal that would represent the blood that would be shed, that would be the future payment for sin, the atonement for sin. And when they did, they would take this animal, they would kill the animal, lay it upon the altar right there as an offering unto the Lord. It was a one-time deal. The difference here with us, a body, it says a living sacrifice. Back then, it was a dead sacrifice. For us, it's a living sacrifice. And as one funny guy used to say, he said, you know, the problem with those kinds of offerings is that they keep crawling off the altar. God wants us to give ourselves totally and stay consecrated before him, moment by moment before the Lord. So it's practical. But then there's also the concept of it's complete, Complete, it means it's total. It's all about us. Everything that we do, we give unto the Lord. And that's so special. And it says here, which is your reasonable service. Now, why do we do that? Because of his mercy. When I give myself to the Lord, what is that? That's my spiritual service of worship. I was chatting with a wonderful couple recently, and I was sharing with them that if we ever get to the point where we could hire a full-time or maybe even a part-time worship leader, that... Most people would think when we hire them that this particular person will be responsible for our music and our, our singing and all of that. And I have to tell you, you do an outstanding job. Bill, we are so blessed by what you and your team does here. And so we don't want to take away from that, but biblically speaking, worship is far greater than just our music. Worship is everything that we do. Have you heard me say that when we come to worship, we bring our worship with us, that worship is 24-7? Do you know that you worship the Lord by sweeping the lanai? Those of you that clean the bathrooms, those of you that do repairs around the building, you're worshiping the Lord by doing that. Those of you that change diapers, I know that's hard to believe that's worship, but if you do it unto the Lord, that's worship. So whatever you do, as long as in your heart you're doing it, not because I've got to do this, 
or if I don't do it, someone's going to call me. If I do it because I love the Lord, that is your form of worship. Do you know that what you're doing is valuable to the Lord, as preaching the word is valuable to the Lord, as being a missionary out on the mission field is valuable to the Lord, as long as you take what you're doing, and because of what God has done for you on the cross, His mercies, you're now presenting yourself to Him, and you live that out in your day-to-day life, that is your worship to the Lord. And let me remind you, though, it's very easy to then now put worship in the concept of duties unto the Lord. We see the word service there. And so that's usually outward. But God says, I want your outward to come from your inward. So your worship actually comes from within, and then it spills out. And as you do it to him, get ready, you will become a person discovering God's will. January is our time of the year that we emphasize one truth for the entire month here at International. And that is this phrase, our intimacy with the Lord fuels our outreach for the Lord because it has to come from the inside, and then it goes out. Well, let's go to the third principle. I put the word elimination there. It says, and do not be conformed to this world. Well, when you read that, uh, it might be important for us to understand what does it mean not to be conformed to this world. What is this world? This world is more of a um, value system than it is not to be conformed to the world as far as merely what they wear and that type of thing. It's a value system. Many years ago, we were using the term humanism. That means we worship that which man could produce. It was all about man. Man was at the center of the universe. Humanism, all about people, all about man. Then it developed into a value system that it was the me-first-itis disease that people had. So technically, in Scripture, it's not talking about the spinning globe. It's not necessarily talking about all that's attached to the spinning globe. But it is talking about a value system. And so what we want to do is eliminate the distractions of a world value system, a secular world view. Now, we're not talking about truth and decency and honesty. The world can even have that. But we are talking about all that of the world that would oppose that which would be of God and Scripture. So it says, don't be conformed to the world. One translation said this, and I like this one. Don't be pressed into the mold of the world. Did you catch that? So we don't want to look like the world, act like the world, think like the world, be the world, even though we are in the world. So it's the word elimination. But most Christians go to two extremes. Here's one extreme. It's called the isolationist. See if you know anybody that you uh, travel around with in your life. They're Christians, and so they think the best way for them to discover God's will is totally isolate themselves from everything that's in the world. And so they almost live just all alone, all by themselves. They're so disconnected from anything that's going on in the world to protect themselves from what might be out in the world. Some of you might remember those old divines that you have read about where they go into monasteries and monks. They take a vow of silence, a vow of communicating, of not communicating with one another because the closer they can get to asceticism, the denial of certain things of the flesh and the body, that they'll be more holy with the Lord. And so I call those isolationists. Now remember, it's extreme. The other extreme would be those that you might refer to them a little bit differently. They would be the one that would be called imitators. I would also like to use the word, they immerse themselves, immersionists into the world. They think that to discover God's world, they've got to look like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, walk like the world, almost become the world. So they immerse themselves in the world. That in itself is also dangerous. So in the middle, what's the center part of it? The center part of it is very simple. It's that we would insulate ourselves from the world but at the same, and at the same time eliminate the distractions of the world. But we still have to be in the world but not of the world. 
Let me ask you a question. See how you would respond to this. How would you feel if um, I suggested that you bring someone to your house who's going to tell you juicy stories, immoral stories. At the same time, they're going to use profanity, often use the Lord's name. They tend to be violent, sometimes out of control. Someone that's going to come into your home and entertain your family, and they will... Um, they will think for the greater good they can still do bad for the greater good. They come into your... Would you let that person come into your house? I don't think I would want them in my house. I don't want someone in my house that's going to use profanity, the, God, the Lord's name in vain. I don't know that I would want willingly to bring someone to my house that's going to tell all sorts of sexual juicy stories, especially around my wife, my children. I wouldn't want that. I don't want someone in my house that's very violent that's going to come into my house and for the greater good do something uh, bad but not as bad to accomplish the... I wouldn't want that in my... I wouldn't want someone that's going to tell stories about lies and then want my money. I wouldn't want someone like that. Now, why am I telling you that story? Because many of us bring into our homes through DVDs and through television and other things... We turn on the television, we turn on the DVD, we get those cable channels, and all of a sudden we're bringing right into our home the world and their way and their philosophy of life. So what I'm basically saying is this. If we want to reach the world, we want to discover God's world, God's will, our separation from the world doesn't mean we're isolationists. No, we're in the world. We're going to go out there. We're going to be a part of it. We're going to help them, connect with them if we can. But at the same time, we will not embrace their value systems. And so you have to ask yourself... How far and how close can you be to be able to reach them? I remember falling out of bed when I was a kid one time, and I, I man, I, I hit so hard that my mom came running in, and she wanted to know what happened. And I said, "Well, I fell out of bed." She said, "How did how did you how did, how did you do that?" And I said, "Well, I fell asleep right at the edge of my bed, and I guess I just rolled out." And she said, "Well, that's your problem." I said, "What? Falling out of bed?" She said, "No, sleeping too close to the edge." And I think sometimes Christians, they marginalize their life too close to the edge. Now, I'm not here trying to rap on you and get you all down, but I just want you to think for just a moment about your life. If you want to discover God's will, how close can we really get to the world before it really starts to infect us and affect us? Let's end with the last one. The final principle is the principle of transformation. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The key to changing your life is to really change your thinking. And I like that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in other words, you don't have to force yourself to do something. It just means change your thinking. If you change your thinking, you'll change your life. And so how do we do that? It's with God's Word. Notice it says, God's will is found in God's Word. I I like that. I've said that many, many times. Have you listened to the debates that have been going on lately with the GOP? I would say our first debate in 2015... There was a question that was asked right at the end of the debate if you watched it. And here was the question. I think it was Megyn Kelly on Fox asked this question to all the candidates. And the question was, she says, we want to hear from God. Do you hear from God? She said, we're going to hear about God, hear from God after the commercial break. Got back from the commercial break. Then she said, which one of you, tell us, do you hear from God? And different ones gave some very anemic answers, etc. But then there was one that gave an answer that really um, perked my interest, piqued my interest. It was Scott Walker, and I'm not promoting any particular candidate. But as he began to answer that question, he was the one that heard her question and was willing to go to the mat with the answer. And here's what he said. The gist of what he said was, 
We hear from God most accurately in his word. So the voice of God is going to come from his word. And if I know his word, then I will know God and I will know his voice. And while they did one or two others, but they never finished the rest of the candidates, and I sure wish they would have, because I'd like to have heard all of their responses, do you hear from God? So no, I do not hear voices at night when I'm going to sleep. I certainly don't have you come to me, and if you did and you said, well, Pastor, the Lord spoke to me, and he wants me to tell you this, I'll take that very um, lightly. I appreciate you caring enough to share something with me. But if I want to know what God had to say, I'm going to know it in his word right here. Now, why am I building my case there? Again, it goes back to God has a plan for your life. If you want to know God's plan, his will, then you need to know God's word. If you know God's word, you will know God's plan for your life. Let me give you one more thought here. And that is God's will, as important as it is, will never contradict God's word. So you know that whatever you think you're doing, if you want to know, is it really of the Lord, it's important for you to go back to the drawing board, which would be his word, and to discover, is this what God really wants me to do? So that's why I'm staying away right now from the topic of butcher, baker, candlestick maker. First of all, we have to understand, what does he want me to do generally? And then it will spit out the way he has shaped us for what he wants us to do in life. Are you listening to me so far? I put a program together, generally for men, but you ladies could go through this. It's called, Where Do I Belong? I wrote that from Scripture to show people that are finally coming to a point in their life, whether they're young people saying, where do I belong in life? To second milers that are getting ready to retire or change their whole career. And they want to know, where do I belong? What do I do? There is an answer, and it's not psychobabble. God does have an answer for that. And there's basic principles to discover scripturally what that is. Now, again, not only is the result what we're going to learn here, how good it is, but it's also because we're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account of what we did with the knowledge of the will, or the lack thereof, of His will for our life. So we have to give an account of that. So someday we're going to look at Him, and He's going to say, Did you do my will? So let's go and finish with this. Why is discovering God's will important for my life? Well, it's very simple. It's all right there. So that, underline that, so that. I do all of this. So that I may prove, and that word prove means to prove by testing or discover, fully discover what the will of God is. And what is the will of God? It's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect, and it's complete. So my dear friends, um, for those of you that are ready to embark upon a new life, a new career, I urge you to present your body as a living sacrifice unto the Lord and not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by changing your mind and thinking about Him and His Word and getting into His Word so you can discover it. If you're a second miler getting ready to change careers, retire, go into something else, I urge you, by the mercies of God, to know these truths. Some of you right now, you might be saying, but Stan, I am a butcher and I am a baker, I am a candlestick maker. I, I, I don't know that I could change right now. I'm so immersed in my career and my family and my house expenses and I've got to take care of my kids in college. How do I change all of that? I'm going to tell you that the Lord has a will for your life. It is not a damaging will. It's a good, perfect, acceptable will of God for you and that He can take you from right where you are today and help you to discover what that will is and make something wonderfully meaningful out of your life. And that's why I encourage you to be with us to discover these great truths because we don't have one second of our life to waste any longer. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, 
Remember where it all begins. It begins with your salvation. So maybe it'd be good for you to just momentarily take your salvation temperature right now. If you were to die, and I hope that you don't today, but if you were and you stood before God and God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer that question? Would you say because I followed you, I did good, I tried the best I could, or maybe you just throw up your hand and say, there's no way I'll ever get in. There is only one acceptable answer. And that is that while you're alive, before you die and stand before him, it's to admit that you're a sinner and that no matter how good you are, you'll never be good enough to go to heaven. And that Jesus Christ died and he rose again and he'll give you his righteousness if you'll place your faith alone in Christ. And when you trust him as your only way to heaven, it's not faith and good works. It is faith in Christ and him alone. He will forgive you and you'll have everlasting life. So you could stand before him confidently and say, why should you let me into your heaven? It's because I did what you told me to do. I trusted your son as my savior in him alone for my full forgiveness of sin. And I receive from you eternal life, not by my works, but based on your mercy and grace, eternal life. I urge you to do that. Settle that. That is God's will, number one in your life, is to trust Christ as your Savior and be a part of His forever family. Would there be anyone here today that's ready to take that first step in discovering God's will by trusting Christ as your Savior? Maybe say that to the Lord. Lord, I'm trusting in you as my only way to heaven. And I want to thank you for dying on the cross for me. I want to thank you for forgiving me of my sin. I want to thank you for releasing me from all the things I did or didn't do and giving me a brand new life now, an eternal life with you. And I thank you for that. Now, if you're doing that, I'd like to pray for you, but I'm not going to have you stand up or walk an aisle. You don't even have to fill out a card if you don't want to. But I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand, but let me make it clear. Raising your hand doesn't get you to heaven. When you raise your hand, I'm just going to say thank you and that's it. Nobody will know who it is. I will pray for you and when I do, it'll be very private. I will not mention your name or describe you in my prayer. But oh, my friend, I would love to pray for you because how exciting it is to know that that very moment, for all eternity, your destiny was settled because of what he did for you on the cross and what you did to receive it. You placed your faith in Christ. Is there anyone in here today that's ready to place their faith alone in Christ knowing that that is God's will number one? And you'd like for me to remember you in prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Would you slip up your hand? Put it up, put it down. Today's the day you're doing that. Is there anyone at all? All right, Christians, I want you to kind of take this little biblical formula and start going through it. You're saved. You dedicated yourself to the Lord. You're eliminating the world's value system from your life and your thought, talk, and walk. And at the same time, you're allowing God's word to transform you through the spirit of God from the inside out. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these seemingly insignificant verses that are very significant as we begin this wonderful last section of Romans together of discovering your will and then living it out in relationships with others. We know that these two verses form the basis of everything else especially as we look into these great truths. We know that the starting point is our commitment to you. 
And first of all, it's to trust you as Savior. And then, Father, to totally rely upon you as the Lord of our life, not to get saved and not to stay saved, but because we are. So, Father, we want to thank you that your will is not something we need to be confused about. It's not so secret that we can never find it. But it, it's simple. It's an act of dedication and elimination, insulating ourselves from some things of the world and then transforming us by our thinking and thinking about your word. Lord, I just lift up all these dear people that are here today and those listening to this message. I, I lift them all up to you, Father, knowing that they were in your mind before they ever came into my life. And that, Father, every one of them is important to you and every one of them has a spectacular will that's provided for them by you. And that together we'll learn what that will is so that we'll have the fullness of life and you would receive the most glory from us. So, Lord, I look forward to what we're going to learn together in the weeks ahead. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.